I'd invite you to take your Bible, please. We're going to turn to the book of Romans, which is almost towards the end, if you're unfamiliar with Scripture. If you don't own a Bible, in the East Auditorium, there's some people moving around right now in the room, and they'll be glad to give you one here in the West. Uh, there's one in the pew rack in front of you, and if you, maybe you're looking at it on your smartphone, whatever the case may be, but if you don't own one at your house, please take that home as our gift to you, and trust me, it happens every week, so it's not unusual for us. It's part of who we are to say we'd like to see everybody have a Bible of their own, so we'd be glad if you would take that on our behalf, okay? While you're looking for Romans chapter 5, um, something that I, I've come across recently is, well, let, let me start it this way. You're probably aware that all of us have this internal voice, right? This thing that where we're thinking stuff or we have these words that come out, words that are there but don't come out, right? We go, I would never say that out loud. I would never, you know, and you have these things that you think about. Well, you say, no one can read my mind. Well, did you know that? The possibility of that changing is coming along. Here's what's going on. NASA, space agency, has found a way with their astronauts that they can put sensors on the throats and under the chin of their astronauts, and that apparently when you think something, whether it be go, stop, yes, no, you have something that they've called sub-vocalizations, which are tiny little movements in your throat that are all different depending on what you're thinking. And so NASA is now able to, by listening and telling their astronauts, think this, think that, or they've developed a database with 92% accuracy, they know what commands their astronauts are giving just by the astronauts thinking it. Isn't that crazy? Just stop. You don't even have to say it. Down in Houston, they already know it. Wouldn't that be weird? Now, I, I, I suspect the hope is that Eventually, uh, this database that would be different for each person would eventually help people who are unable to speak. They could then, just by thinking this stuff, though, how would you know when you're thinking versus what you want to say? There's an interesting thing, right? (laughs) I'm 59 years of age. I've just learned to not say some things that I think. Some of you are 35 and say, I'm slowly getting there. Some of you are 85. I always say what I think. I don't care. Some of you are 15 and saying, I'm supposed, to th- I'm supposed to stop talking before I think? You know how it is. I don't know that any of us want to have someone inside our head all the time. But can I point out that there is someone inside who's inside your head all the time and who knows what you're thinking? Jesus told us that God in heaven knows exactly not only what we do and not only our motives, but even the thoughts inside our heads. And Jesus was concerned about that. He encouraged his followers, hey, you've got to do more than just watch your actions or, think, or do things that are good. You've got to actually watch your thoughts and actually think well as well. Our thoughts are sometimes good. Sometimes they're a little innocent. Sometimes they might be naive. And sometimes, who are we kidding? They're not good at all. They're even downright evil. And yet, still, knowing all of that, the Bible tells us that Jesus came to earth. (laughs) I begin to wonder, maybe he came because of those thoughts. Maybe he came because of the way in which we think more so than the things we do. What I want to talk with you today is this understanding that, in a nutshell, if I could put words in God's mouth, God would say, your thoughts don't surprise me at all. 
That's why Jesus came. That's why, we, that's why I sent Jesus from heaven. We're going to examine that in the coming weeks. What does it mean when we say that Jesus came uh, as a baby, and what are the implications of that? And what did, if you will, what did God know? And, and why did God do that? It's all leading up to our Christmas services on the weekend, December 23rd and 24th. And what we're going to examine in the weekends between now and then is why Jesus came, if you will, as God's mission to humanity and the entire cosmos. And this series we've called God on Mission will help us see what happened as the divine missionary came from heaven. After all, think about what the task of a missionary is. Usually a missionary is somebody from a church, a large seed with many churches joined together, or a local congregation, and a person leaves home and goes somewhere else to serve, right? And so they would leave, and they, they have to go to a new place. They often have to wear, wear different clothing. They have to speak a different language. They have to take on a different culture. All that stuff from the home place has to be shifted for the place where they're going. You can see it in, in the video you just saw, where we've got our people going to Kenya. And they have, if they don't speak Swahili, or even a few words, they have to have interpreters. You see that there are people there dressed differently than we dress. They, they eat different food. They have a different culture. And as missionaries, we go to them adapting to them, not asking them to adapt to us. Well, that's what Jesus did. He came from a place that was different from where he served. He exchanged his divine nature for wearing new clothes, namely a body with flesh and blood. He had to leave the culture of heaven to take on the culture of humanity. He was God on mission. And we're going to look at that for now a few weeks. And as we look at that, we're going to see how this mission came along and the results of that mission. How does it play out in our lives? As a matter of fact, for today, I want to start by examining some of the results of Jesus and God, if you will, being on mission. And then we'll see uh, what, 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 how it all came about today. And then we'll, in the weeks ahead, we'll look at some more results. So we're going to read Romans 5, which is in many ways written from the perspective of the results of God being on mission. Let's start there. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. What does it mean and what happened as a result of God sending a missionary, namely Jesus Christ? All right, and we'll see these results here. Chapter 5, verse 1. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace through, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Some of you may have in your Bible a different translation where it says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Uh, and we'll come back to that boasting and rejoicing in just a minute, okay? Not only, do we, 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 not, all, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see... At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. As an aside, Paul then says, the writer says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, God took on the mission to redeem humanity. So, 
before we look at why this took place, can I, this business of God on mission, what, what happened to, before we say why did that take place, let's look at the results of that mission because apparently Jesus on mission, Jesus on mission has brought some really cool results to his followers. For example, do you see um, how verse two, is one of the impacts that's listed there, is that we rejoice so we boast in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, it's not this, yay, but it's this quiet, man, this, this, that boasting there is, is a, a sense that, man, it is really good that we have this opportunity to, to, to partner with God. And consequently, we have an attitude of rejoicing. It's good news. Jesus' arrival and the story that he brought with him and the story that played out through him is not just good news, it's great news. And in verse two, it also says that coming through that then, we have grace. Grace has brought us to faith. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, if you say that, man, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then you are a follower of Jesus Christ if you've placed your, your, light, your eternal destiny in his hands, then you're a person of faith. Where did that ability or that willingness to say that? It comes through grace. We, didn't, don't, we don't deserve that sort of faith, but somehow, in some place, in some way, God's mission made an impact upon you. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have believed, which means you have faith. Verse three and four says, as a result of that faith, you have development of character. That you don't have to be the same today as you were yesterday, and you don't have to be the same tomorrow as you were today. It, and even if life is tough at times, you know that that, that that struggle brings perseverance. It develops our character. It, for a follower of Jesus Christ, can look back to last, the struggles of last week and say, man, I made it through that, or the struggles of last year, or the struggles of 20 years ago, and you say, man, if I look back over that, what do I see? I see God's faithfulness in bringing me through all of that, and you have this track record of, wow, in the midst of this present trial, all right, it's really crummy right now, but the track record says that coming on the other side of this, God is going to have really done something really cool in my life, and I'm going to be able to live with greater hope daily. And you know why? Because it says in verse 5 that the Holy Spirit is engaging us in a love experience. We're having this, this ability to experience God's love in our lives in a way that is really powerful. It's all very cool. It's what the followers of Jesus Christ experiences. Maybe we can put it this way. It's that sort of deep down understanding, right down in your gut where you go, okay, regardless of the events and the issues of life, I've got this figured out. All is right between me and God through Jesus Christ. I, you may have a lot of questions. You may have things that you haven't yet figured out. Fair enough. But when it gets down to who I am before God, I've got, well, it's all cool because I've got the rejoicing of the past, the grace of the present, the ongoing development, and overall, this growing experience of love in God. Now, did you do anything to deserve that? Did, we, did you manufacture something that finally God said, okay, you're good enough now? No, that's the point of grace, isn't it? All this stuff that we get from God comes to us freely. All the gifts of God are exactly that. They are gifts. Gifts are never payment for services rendered. They are simply gifts. They are graces. And you see how it's described in verse six? 
at just the right time when we were still powerless, when we had nothing to offer, at just the right time when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God worked through Jesus Christ on our behalf even though we were powerless. In fact, truth be told, we didn't even know we had a need, did we? Some time ago, apparently back at the Garden of Eden, we read in Scripture, there was a move made in heaven that right as sin entered into humanity's existence, right then before you were born, your parents, your great parents, they were talking about going back generation upon generation. Long before you were, long before your existence, long before you even knew you were powerless, a plan was put in place in heaven. We read about it in the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. We read then that God in heaven decided, my son is going to die and Jesus' death is going to conquer people's powerlessness over sin. Jesus died for your sins before you were born, before you even knew of your need. Let me explain it this way. Uh, Did you know that if you fly into Savannah, Georgia, your plane is going to fly in and touch something that you would never expect, that you would ever, ever experience in a plane? Let me see if I can explain it this way. The Savannah Airport was first opened in 1932, 85 years ago. Back then, it was a very small place. Now, it's grown significantly larger. It has 2 million visitors a year. And um, as the airport has grown, the civil aviation authorities have had to figure out how are we going to let the property, you know, the airport itself grow and extend the runways and everything. And what's fascinating about the story of the Savannah Airport is that All the land around the Savannah Airport is owned by one family, the Dotsons, D-O-T-S-O-N. And they have owned that property going back to the early 1800s, long before planes were ever thought of. So every time that the authorities say, we've got to get the airport to be a little bit larger or at a runway, they have to approach the Dotsons. And the Dotsons, I assume for a reasonable figure, I don't know what the reasonable figure is, have always said you can increase the size of the runway. In more recent years, though, they ran into a problem. See, the Dodson family has lived on that property for so long, for so many generations, that they actually have their own private cemetery. More than 100 Dodson people are buried in that private cemetery. And some time ago, as it became apparent they were going to have to increase the runways yet again, guess where the runways were going to go? Right through the cemetery. Now, U.S. law states that no remains that are buried can be moved unless the next of kin agree. So again, the government approached the Dotson family and said, we need to increase the length or the width of the runways, whatever the case may be. We need to increase the size of the airport, and this time we need the cemetery. And I guess for another reasonable fee, the Dotson said, yes, you can move all the bodies except two. Catherine and Richard Dotson, the original family, patriarch and matriarch, are buried there. We want them left there. So what do you think, in light, I guess the right dollars changed hand, what do you think happened to the runways? Paved right over those graves. But rather than some shameless steamrolling, you know what they did? They placed gravestones flat on top of the graves and built the runways around them. And so when you land at Savannah Airport, what do you do? You can, if the, well, depending on where the plane lands, you could roll right over those 
those gravestones. It's kind of cool in some ways. Here's what I know. If you fly to Savannah this week, everybody else will be completely unaware of what's about to happen. As you land, you go bump, bump, and everybody else. <laughs> Don't you love it? Everybody else thinks it's, oh, there's just a little crack in the, in the runway. You know, oh no, that's Mr. Dotson and Mrs. Dotson. <laughs> Here's my point. For the majority of the two million visitors to Savannah, Georgia, who fly into that airport, they have no idea whatsoever what's taking place, right? They're just carrying on with their merry way and their little bump here and there. So what? It's the same with you and God on mission. God chose to send Jesus Christ long before you ever knew of your need. And you could be just flying through life, unaware that all the while, all the while, God had a plan. And all the while, that little bump you feel, oh, that's just the plan that God's got in place to bring you to him through Jesus Christ. Look at how Romans puts it in verse, verse 8. God demonstrates, it says, verse 8, Romans chapter 5. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, while, in the period that we were sinners, before it says in verse 6, it says before we were powerless, before we even knew of our need, while we were sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. I've wondered in the past about what conversations might have taken place in heaven, not only in the days leading up to when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But what happened back generations ago, back during the time of the book of Genesis, when God made a decision, I'm gonna fix the problem of these humans. What do you, I, there's no, I, I don't want you to build a theology around this, I'm just postulating. Was there a conversation between the angels of heaven? Hey Joe, I mean that's what you call an angel, right? Joe, I don't know. Joe, have you, Joe, 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 look at me. Have you seen the problem on earth? Adam and Eve, they have started a right royal mess. Have you seen this? They're sinning. And you know what, Joe? God says all their kids are going to do the same thing. No. Yeah, yeah. And you know what else, Joe? God has made a decision to send his son, Jesus. It's amazing. God is going on a mission trip to people. And while they are sinning, completely unaware of their need now, they're unaware of the courses of their lives and their human culture, in the midst of all of that with them, completely unaware, Jesus is going to go. God on mission. While they're sinning, Jesus is going. They haven't even asked for help. Yet he's going. And scripture tells us he came. It says our sins are forgiven and we choose to follow him and rejoice in his grace and his character development and love experience. It's all to our advantage. It's all really good news for us. God put it in play while we were powerless before we even knew. But then we have to say now in light of the fact that we do know what's next. What's next in response to God on mission for you and for me? What should we do in light of what God has given us? What responsibility do we have? We get grace freely, yes. 
but shouldn't we have some response? Shouldn't we have a gift back, if you will? Is there a responsibility for us in light of what God has given us? Well, Paul, when he's writing to the Romans, uh, also has some comments about our responsibilities when he's writing in the, to the Corinthian church. He says, all this is from God. This grace, this hope, this rejoicing, this character development, all the things that we've chatted about, the results of Jesus coming. He says, all this is from God. Who did what? Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And he has committed to us. We have now been given the responsibility of that same message of reconciliation. In other words, God and Jesus through Jesus, caused us to be reconciled to God, all right, through Christ. Now, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though, we're God, as though God were making his appeal through us. Now, it's our responsibility. God on, God on mission reconciled people to himself, and now we have the same responsibility. You could say the result of God on mission is that we are now on mission for God. We are Christ's ambassadors. That's one reason why, as a congregation, we are so intentional in the things that we do, if you will, from an organizational, from a corporate group, from a group of people, a congregational point of view, we're very intentional about how are we telling and taking this story of this reconciliation between people and God? How are we taking it to our community and to the world? We're very active, as, in, as you know, in Parsons at the elementary school across the street, letting those people know, those kids know. We, we, are, we want to be involved in your life and in the lives of your family. That's why we're involved at the block and why we're involved in, at DMH. We, you know, taking care of all the chaplains there and at crossing and so forth. And it's why we are also very intentional to say, where, God, would you have us not only do stuff locally, but also overseas? And so we're involved in Kenya and Cuba and Kazakhstan. As a matter of fact, what we've learned is the more we as a congregation get our people involved in those places, whether it be close or far, those places get changed, but also we get changed. Individuals get changed. As a matter of fact, I want you to catch what Troy Smith, somebody who's been to Kenya a couple of times, says about this. Watch the video. We started coming to First Christian about eight years ago. My wife, Julie, scowled the church out, found a church that she liked, and I decided to come along with her then. She decided to go to a Kenya trip, which was in 2013. When I got to see her come back glowing about the people that she was able to help over there, it, that's what sparked my interest and decided to join the next labor trip, which was in 2014. So I went on that trip with BJ and a few other people and it changed my life completely. And after that, it wasn't if I would do a mission trip, it was when am I doing my next one. On my second trip to Kenya, I decided to invite a friend along. My best friend Lonnie, I had never known him to go to church in the 30 years that we had known each other, but he had mentioned if I ever went again that he'd be interested in going with me. So when we were finding out the dates, we were in service, and I did the bad thing. I got on my phone and texted Lonnie from service and said, here's the next Kenya dates. And he instantly replied back, okay, I'm in. I figured he was maybe pulling my leg or something, you know, committing to a trip like this, but he was all in. Now he comes to service with us occasionally on Saturdays. Uh, so I've got to see him grow. And he's asked me all the time, when's the next trip? He actually went to Cuba with me uh, last year. Uh, and that kind of shows you what these trips do to you. They change you. They change you drastically. Well, it's been amazing to see how God has worked in Troy's life over the years. It's just really neat. And uh, we obviously can give God all the glory as we, as we see how he has transformed another life. And not just a life, but an entire family. 
I've just met so many people that have made my life better. It just leads to being able to tell people what God has done with this trip, with these teams, with the people that it's affected. It's unbelievable what these trips can do to the individual, to the group, to the community. It's an awesome feeling. So if you'd like to learn a bit more about our ministry in Kenya, specifically, as I mentioned earlier, the stop by the table in the lobby after the service. Because the people who are gonna be there want you to understand how this business of reconciling humanity to God, that they've had a part in that. We as a congregation have had a part in it. They've had a part in it as individuals going and telling and demonstrating God's love to the people of Kenya. Here's what, they've, here's what I know that they're experiencing that they have been able to go and say, God came on mission. He came as God's missionary will, if you will, as his ambassador with a new language. He came wearing human flesh. He came to a culture different than heaven's culture. And now, in response, we are on mission. We are committed, Scripture says. He has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. It's a message that we have to bring to this world, even though the message at times is foreign to the world around us. We speak a language that's different than people around us. We, you know, we're not as coarse, I would hope, as the language around us, the world around us. Instead, we speak of God's love and, and, and our love for all, and that's our responsibility. And that responsibility is not only for the people of Kenya or Cuba or the people in the block or at Parsons. Our, our message of mission, if you will, is also for our friends and our family and the people we know. Because if you're like me, I have friends and family members who are... They don't follow Jesus. They're far from God. And our mission for them, I mean, you can say it this way. While we were far from God, Jesus died for us. So while they may be far from God, still we have to say Jesus died for them. Your friends and acquaintances may be far from God, but God's mission, God on mission for them, it's already set in play. And since the ministry of reconciliation between people, and our God, between people and God is our responsibility, then I've got to ask you, how's it going? How's it going with your responsibility? Are there people you know who are in need of God, God on mission, if you will, what would you do? May I suggest you could pray for them. You could invest in them through relationships. And then you could invite them to learn of God on mission. You can bring the ministry of reconciliation between humans and God to your friends and your acquaintances. And in order to help you with that this season, as a congregation, we want to partner with you, striving to see how God's ministry of reconciliation can flow through you this month. As you came into worship in both auditoriums today, you received an ornament. It looks like this. All right? If you didn't get one, there's going to be some ushers in both rooms coming and making certain... You, everyone's going to need one of these, okay? You're, going to, you're not going to leave... It's not, you're not taking it home today, so we're, we've, got a, we've got a project in mind that we need your help with these ornaments, okay? So here's what we're going to do. As you receive this, we're going to write people's names on these ornaments today. So if you didn't get an, an, an ornament yet, please put your hand up in both rooms and we'll get it to you. There's magic markers in both rooms, some in the pew racks here on chairs and so forth in the East Auditorium. And what, here's our project. Uh, together, let's prayerfully consider 
who you know, who I know, who needs to know God of God's mission, okay? And then together, let's invest in their lives through our relationships with them. And then I know the last part. Praying for people, investing is the easy part. Then you come to this moment, okay, am I going to invite them to know Jesus? You go, oh, goodness gracious. That's the crazy one. I'd suggest that lean into the church a little bit on this one, okay? You can, you can pray, you can invest, and then invite them to join us on the, in the worship services on the 23rd or the 24th. And um, I, I, our commitment to you is that on those services particularly, we'll do all we can to succinctly and accurately present God to those who, who need to know of, of his mission for them. So here's what I'd like to, to suggest. You notice the tree beside me is not decorated, and neither are the stages at this point per se, in either room. There's a tree like this in both rooms with nothing on it yet. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to prayerfully ask you to write a name of someone you'd like to see get into a relationship with God, all right? And then, as you leave the worship services today, there are going to be baskets where you can put these uh, ornaments in them, and then we're going to use these ornaments to decorate this tree and all the other trees that we use on the stages. Now, so you go, well, I don't want my friend to know that I put his name, her name. Well, remember that thing with NASA and the sub-vocalizations? Make up a name. Put down their initials. God knows who you're thinking about, right? And so, Take one of those magic markers. You may have to share them a little bit. Who are you going to write and say, I would love to know that this person knows about Jesus Christ by the end of 2017. And then you put them in the basket. We'll decorate the stages. And it's not going to be out in the lobby, but we'll decorate the stages with all these ornaments. And then we're going to pray and see what God does in the weeks ahead, okay? So I want to remind you, this whole idea of God being on mission and us participating in that and being his ambassadors in that regard. That's why we've um, got all the Christmas Eve services on, the Christmas services, pardon me, on Saturday evening, Sunday morning, and Sunday after, afternoon evening of December 24th, 23rd and 24th. Let me try it again. I'll just say it right, okay? All the Christmas services on Saturday evening, Sunday morning, and Sunday evening, December 23rd and 24th, will be exactly alike. And we're going to ask you today, or in the weeks ahead, to grab a ticket for one of those services. The tickets are free. Let me emphasize that. But what we're trying to do is make certain that we spread all of us throughout all the services so that we leave dozens upon dozens upon dozens of empty seats in each service so that you can have space to bring your guest. Does that make sense? We don't want all of us showing up to one room and, or one service and not having enough space for lots of guests. So we're spreading ourselves out over all the services so there are lots of seats for people to show up who maybe don't, who didn't, don't normally attend and don't have tickets, okay, or anything like that. So if you, they don't have tickets, we're going to, by all means, that's the reason we're getting tickets, so they can get in. So, who are you going to write on this? What's the name? Who are we praying for that will come to know Jesus before the end of the year, okay? Let's pray together. Lord, as a congregation, you know our track record, Father. You know our track record here in the community. We, you know our intentional work overseas. And we're all very glad for that, Lord. We're glad that as a congregation, we can impact lives. It's good stuff. But the truth is, God, we want to do more than just impact those far or 
away from us in terms of our relationships. We want our friends and families to, um, people, Lord, that are, we're, we, we know them. We see them sometimes every day. We work with them. We go to the gym. We, we see them at school. Lord in heaven, we're praying for them right now. Asking, Lord, that you would enable us to have an influence, to invest in their lives. And then, God, we pray that as we issue a simple invitation that they would respond. Not by anything that we did, but by, God, place a, place a deep desire within them to investigate the matters concerning Jesus Christ and his death on, on the cross long before they even knew of their need. We've received that grace. We want others to receive it as well. So we lift these people to you right now. Lord, I also pray if there's someone here this, this morning who doesn't know you, who would say, well, I, this is all new to me and I don't, don't even know how to respond. I pray that through the power of God Almighty, you would call that person to you. You would enable them to ask for forgiveness of sins. You'd allow that person, God, to say, I'm placing my trust upon the work of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that grace being given to all of us, God. In Christ's name, amen.